morning, Northern Hills Church. It's good to be with you here this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm our Connections Pastor and part of the teaching team. Um, uh, great to be with you, obviously, those that are in person, and of course, those of you that are joining us online as well. So thrilled that you could spend your Sunday with us. I just got on my first flight out of state in March, and I didn't know what to expect on the first flight. This is, I say first flight, my first flight post-pandemic. And I, I didn't really have, I was trying to manage expectations because I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how people were going to interact on the plane. Now, many of you know me. I'm a little bit of a talker, a little bit of a social butterfly. So I like to have conversations on the flight. Not all the time, but generally I'm trying to carry on a conversation, which means probably there's half the room that doesn't want to fly with me ever. Because you just like to put your headphones in and like, don't bug me, Brandon. Like, I got stuff to to focus on here. I didn't know what to expect, but I sat down. God would have me sit next to a couple that was getting ready to celebrate. It was either their eighth or ninth uh, year anniversary. And where they were flying out to, they were excited. They were excited to spend some downtime with one another. We just started sparking up just crazy conversation. And we were going everywhere. Like we started with sports and then it started leading into some cultural items. We even, guess what? Yes, we went there and we didn't bite each other's heads off. We went into the political realm a little bit in our conversation, and it was just, it was awesome. Everything was really meeting and, and, and way over my expectations of what this first flight out of town was going to look like. And then the husband leaned over at one point during the conversation, and he asked the dreaded question. Do you know what the dreaded question is? What do you do for a living? Oh, <laughs> <sighs> It's just the tension-filled question that I know because I've been around the block a few times and I've had those conversations. It's a coin flip, friends. It's a coin flip for me when uh, I introduce that I'm a pastor, that I'm a full-time pastor, that I work at a church because it can just turn people off. And so sure enough, I mentioned what I do, and he gave me sort of this weird look. Him and his wife both gave me this sort of weird look, which made me sort of wonder, well, is I like cussing five minutes before? And just which, again, I can be prone to do, but... It was one of those things where it was just like, okay, maybe he maybe he's, has that confused look on his face because he just got done carrying on a really good conversation with someone that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? And so sure enough, over the course, you could just feel the sort of temperature change, the plane temperature change, right? And, and, and immediately they, they started like engaging with one another a little bit more. After not too long, the, the headphones went on, they started watching a movie, and you could just feel that sort of, that just space, that something had shifted, and something shifted crazy. And I, I tried not to be, I'm telling you guys, I tried not to be so frustrated. But it's just a frustrating moment when you share that. And again, that coin flip chance of, are they going to enjoy that? Are we going to continue on this conversation? Or is it just going to be shut down? Because I knew when it comes to this couple and really many other people that you can engage with, when it comes to Christianity, we're actually starting off, if you're a person of faith, with a deficit. You're starting off in any kind of conversation, starting in a hole. See, we're in the second week of a sermon series titled Go, and Pastor Brian did a great job of setting us up last week as we really tried to talk to the theme of this entire series, really the concept of this. It's bent around the Great Commission, where Jesus is giving a charge to all believers. Okay, this isn't just you having the gift of evangelism. This is a call to all of us to be evangelists. 
And the charge is found in Matthew 28, 19. Many are familiar. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, he's speaking to his disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And so Jesus is clear in his directive that you're to go. You're to go make more followers. But what we've wanted to do with this series is redeem that idea. Because in many ways, we have a concept around evangelism that has some barriers to it or or that has some scarcity built around it for us. And so what we wanted to do was talk about what it would look like to go into the world, to the places that God has called us to bring that love, to bring that message of Jesus, maybe in a unique way, maybe in a way we've not thought of, maybe off script, and just to be genuine with those encounters so we can just be available to Jesus to do his work of transforming lives. And when trust has been established, someone won't keep their distance as much. And the problem with Christianity and, 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 and non-Christians engaging with uh, just sort of that beautiful tension that arrives with one another, the framework of that is that a lot of people have a story that they have built a level, a mountain of distrust for people of faith. And when that distrust mountain is there, that shift in any kind of conversation or the shift in the relationship is tough to push through. The growth of that relationship, I would say, the growth in talking about spiritual things, it's nearly impossible. It's nearly impossible. Could we see our friends that keep Christians at a distance? I think actually they're making a good argument at times. And they're making it a good argument because in our attempts to share the good news with others, even though that's come from a place that we have good intentions with, maybe we've come across as wanting to fix people, wanting to make people projects more than just allowing them to be people that have a story. And so when we see them as projects, that mountain of trust, distrust excuse me, continues to build up. And it's the same old story You know, well, those Christians, they just have an agenda. And here's the deal. I I think about all the evangelistic strategies. I actually came from a very evangelistic bent ministry. I think of the methods. I think of the things maybe we learned in church. And again, good-natured in what we did. And even framed, are you kidding? It framed the way I would want to introduce the gospel, the way I could walk through the gospel message. But so many of those strategies were built in a room full of Christians. A lot of Christians that had those conversations, a lot of churches that had those conversations, staff and and ministries. And I wonder, did we once take that brainstorming and planning and ask our non-Christian friends where they were coming from? Did we once check in to see what they might need to take a step towards Jesus? Or were we mostly coming up with what we wanted to do, and in the process of that, we actually weren't helping those that really did need the help? the help that we wanted to present to them. Perhaps in our deepest need, our deepest desire, again, all from a good place, perhaps in those deep moments to share our faith, to share the good news of the gospel with someone, we forgot the someone. We forgot that they have a story. They have a trajectory that the Lord's made for them as well. So today I wanna help us. I wanna help us build more trust. I want to help us build, to- build trust towards those individuals that God has placed in our life because I believe Christians are a trustworthy group. I believe there's men and women represented here, those that are watching online, and we have a story as well, and we believe in the transformation that has taken place in our own lives, and all we want to do is be an overflow 
of what that is to have somebody experience those same things. But we need to take a hard look, a hard look at how non-Christian friends think. So here's the first thing I want us to think about as we just look at someone's journey. And really, this is not just their journey to their path of, uh, in, uh, path of faith in Jesus Christ. It's really been our journey as well, if we're all honest with one another. And the first thing is this, is that the path to faith is filled with process for most people. It's generally not a one-stop shop. Now, that can happen. That can happen in some of the ministries I came along with to where we're going and doing street evangelism and you're immediately sharing the Romans road and you're getting into the questions of if you knew, if you, if you knew where you were going to, uh, excuse me, if you knew you were going to die in five minutes, would you know where you're going? And if they'd say no to that, then you could engage in a bunch of different Q&A with them. Now, those one-stop shops are a way, but over time, and over maturity and just thinking through all of this, and especially as we have uh, dove into this series, is it the way? Is it the way? Because path to faith is filled with process. People just don't walk from complacency or let's say even conflict in their life to curiosity immediately. And we know that about our own lives. I mean, you know some people, you know some of your friends that are very successful. They have everything going for them. And so for them to even be curious about questions of Jesus or what Jesus can provide for them, they, they, don't, they could care less because everything is pretty good in their lives. And then you know some other people that are in some major conflict. They have everything that's going against them. They have everything that they're facing that is just making them conflicted. And honestly, if they were to talk about any kind of thing in curiosity, they'd just be like, Jesus? Yeah, where is he? I don't see him showing up whatsoever with the hell on earth that I'm experiencing. And so for both of these kinds of friends or family that we have, as they encounter Jesus Christ, they're going to encounter Jesus Christ over time, not always in the one-stop shop. And something wonderful can take place once they do experience that, but there's a process to that growth. And I think this is biblical. I believe this is biblical because we find throughout Scripture Jesus speaking to process. One of the areas he does this is the parable found in Mark chapter 4. And this will be our main text for the day. This is the story that Jesus tells us, and it's called the parable of the growing seed. Found in verse uh, 26 through 29 of chapter 4. Jesus says this. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk and then the head and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now we're going to get to the front end of that story at the end of this message, but I want us to check out the end of this parable for a moment because the seed to grow into a ripe plant, it needs to grow in a certain way, doesn't it? There's process here. There's steps that need to be taken. First the seed, and then the stalk, and the head, and then the crop is to be harvested. There's a process for that change to happen, for the growth of that seed to take place. And you know this about your life, you're no different. Our friends that know, know Jesus Christ, they are no different. The farmer in the parable he sees that the stages of growth are all different steps in the process, and so he acts accordingly. 
And I wonder if we as the people of God, the friends of God, just adjusted to others on their path of faith. When we do that, if we were to do that, I wonder if it would free us from this idea of our methods and our strategies that we learn to be more of this one-stop shop and just share faith and then get in and get out. Because I don't know about you, but when we look at people, I think we, we err on a side of looking at people as Christians and non-Christians. And that comes, uh, when it comes to sharing our faith, that's where we tend to view them as. What we'll view them as, quite honestly, is a light switch. And the Christians in our world, the Christians in our sphere, they're on and on for Jesus. Go time. But the people that are, people that are working through their faith that are non-Christians, they are the off switch. And so what we'll try to do in our methods and our strategies, we'll pull out an evangelism shotgun and we'll start attempting to do evangelism wherever we go, what it was we were taught to do or how we would engage in someone with the gospel and it becomes one trick evangelism, but all we're trying to do is just turn the light on. We want that to be quick or we want that to be maybe in a moment. And yet no farmer, no farmer would spend all his time simply scattering seeds and seeds only. No farmer would spend their time just swinging the sickle. See, see, if you ask me, it explains, it explains it in great detail of why many of us don't engage in evangelism. Why many of us don't take the steps to be proactive in sharing our faith with others. Because maybe we've, we've just seen them as a light switch. Something to be turned on for Jesus. But that someone lives in the world. That someone has nuance to their story. That someone is, is up to something as well that we may not even know about. Different paths, different uh, history of upbringing. People are not light switches. There was a book that was written in 2008, and it was written uh, by a couple of authors. The book's called I Once Was Lost. They were speaking to many people about their conversion experiences in a postmodern world. They actually interviewed 2,000 different stories, if you will, of people that came to follow Jesus Christ. Now, all those stories, of course, because of the nuance, they were all varied, right? They were all diverse kind of stories. But what they talked about is that each individual came up to certain thresholds of their faith. That was essentially how they um, defined the, the shifts or the stages that they would walk through in their personal journeys. And what they all noticed in all these 2,000 stories of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ is that everybody, where they started their path, the path to Jesus, it started with them significantly trusting a Christian. That's where their path started. They mentioned that there was this invisible wall between the trust and distrust. And I found that so fascinating because I'm like, oh, that invisible wall is what I felt on the plane, where it was a shift the minute I mentioned the things of God or the things that I was involved with with God. But the starting place is where I want to live this morning. That's where I want us to focus on this morning because that's the beginning path to faith is building that trust with someone, with another person. Because some of our friends that aren't Christians, they just don't trust Christians because why? Well, we know all the stories because they interacted with the Christian that told them in an encounter or a one-stop shop uh, method that they were going to go to hell. Or they had a Bible uh, 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 debate with somebody. Maybe it was a professor in their college and that college professor tore them a new one and said that the Bible is full of mistakes. 
another friend that they have that they've encountered. And so they watch the daily and they see that, okay, well, you live this way, but you say a different thing and you don't really. And so they can't really add up all the parts or maybe they're just watching their television, seeing immoral failing or deceitful practices within the church. And so it's turned into this one big conspiracy. And still you have another friend that you've invited to the church event or the church function and they've come into it and they just feel like they were left outside or they felt like an outsider the entire time. So as we dig in today, the beginning part of someone's path to faith is trusting a Christian, trusting a Christian. And if you remember, we touched on it last week. In another day and age, God and religion and everything that has a spiritual connotation to it There was general respect for that. There was general respect for the Christian culture and not so much today. Church is weird. Religion is suspect. People of faith are radical. Maybe Christians are still hypocrites. Distrust has become the norm. And people are tired of the sales tactics. They're tired of uh, the, the methods that have often been employed by Christians. And they're offended by that bait and switch process now. That's just what, that's the world we live in. But the good news is we're not the first generation to struggle with that. That's where the good news lies in God's word. To face this kind of context where uh, distrust is the default, the apostle Paul faced an inherently distrustful culture. This is nothing new for us. Those who uh, espoused that the Greek culture was the way to live life, that that was the way that you would move through your life. They were not impressed with Paul coming and talking about the risen Jesus. They were not impressed with this resurrection message. In fact, they looked at him and they called him a poser. They said, yeah, why don't you, why don't you simmer down, you babbler? Because all you're doing is giving off wrong messages. But Paul wasn't offended by that. In fact, he leaned into that much more. He, he wasn't intimidated by the insults. And not only did he survive, but he really thrived in all of his encounters. What about Jesus. The Bible describes him as who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. See, God decided incarnate, I will come in the flesh to come right alongside people. The word didn't have to become flesh, the word didn't have to pitch a tent. And, and come into the community, but he did. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's the incarnational way that God has chosen to do life. And that's to come as himself in the flesh to be amongst people. And as his children... We might do well to get alongside of that and say, then that's going to be the way that we engage with the world as well. And so that means we're not to preach at people from a high uh, a stage or a platform and just say, this is who Jesus is. This is who you need to believe in. This is what he's done for you in such a loving way, right? Instead, what we do is we place ourselves amongst friends to shake hands, to befriend, to be part of their story. And sometimes God He'll build trust in the most unique ways that you're not even thinking of. I can remember a good friend of mine. Um, He's actually just this young punk kid. And I remember this young punk kid coming to youth group. I was 19 in the youth group, so I was an older kid. 
Um, I was the older kid that was volunteering in the youth group. And he came, uh, he was a pot smoker, loved pot. And he came high as a kite every single Thursday evening. And it wasn't even to engage in the, it was definitely not to engage in the message of Jesus or anything that we were sharing there. It wasn't even to engage in maybe trying to find um, a chick and try to, you know, play the hookup game or whatnot, right? That was not his, his model. He was there for the basketball, period. We played basketball every single Thursday night after youth group. And I can remember each Thursday night, he wanted to stay for hours and hours just hooping and just hooping. And so over time, over weeks, and over months, we'd begin to have conversations. We just had conversations over sweat and hardwood, <laughs> right? He'd be able to start engaging with me and realizing that, okay, this guy likes to get sweaty. He likes to shoot three-pointers. He's a ball hog a little bit. Okay, I don't know what that is about, but you know, we would just engage with one another, and those conversations would go from the basketball court as I got into my young 20s into my apartment. And he'd start coming over, and we'd start engaging about other kinds of conversations, like his former church life, that he never really accepted Christ as his Savior. In fact, it was weird to him. He got scared. There were some things, that there were some wounds from that former church life that he grew up in. And we get into those conversations about just our dreams and our hopes. And this young kid started on the basketball court that would end up in my home, us talking about the future and, 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 and dreams and wishes and all the likes, all these things, this young kid, this young man, he'd become my best man. He'd become the best man in my wedding. And he's my dear, dear friend to this day. You know, he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And that was just through time, and it was through the long game. It wasn't looking at the one-stop shop of what could be accomplished in that relationship or on a street corner, but knowing that, you know what, I'm just going to be available. I'm going to see what God does in and through this relationship. Now, I get it. A relationship to grow from trust to distrust, or excuse me, from distrust to trust, I know that's, that, that, that's not... There's a lot of nuance that goes into that. Trust develops, of course, over time. And that could take anywhere from one day to many years. And not all of us are even going to feel confident when it comes to, well, you might be good at building those relationships or building trust brand, but I don't know if I can do those things. Well, I think we can all practice a kingdom posture. I think we can all practice what it takes to grow those bonds over time when we just look at God and we look at his word and we look at the things that can build into us. And some simple practical ways, I just want to talk to these purposely building trust in another's life. We build trust by praying. And this is the thing that Pastor Brian challenged us with majorly if you were here last week. Just to start by praying for a person. We were challenged to actually think of that person that was on the fringe. Maybe somebody that we've written off, an individual that we feel like, okay, they're, they're, they uh, come uh, from this side of the tracks, and I, I don't know if I can engage with it. We, we've, we've written off a lot of individuals in our lives, but I would add this prayer request into your mix this week. I'll throw another person to begin to pray for. What about praying for the person that you continually feel temptation to defend yourself against? Because there's a person in each of our lives where we find ourselves always trying to defend ourselves against them, right? This person that constantly maybe rubs up against our beliefs. Or maybe they minimize the impact of the transformation that God has had in your life. And that just, again, gets, 
it just gets you frustrated. It rubs you the wrong way. And you just don't know where to go with that, right? And so you find yourself getting defensive or needing to defend God. And just a pro tip this morning, and you know the pro tip, you don't need to defend God. God doesn't need your defense. God can defend himself. He's good. He has it. And he has you. He has you in that specific situation where he doesn't need you to defend him. So we can be honest in that prayer time with our struggle with this individual. (laughs) And I've had those prayer requests. Lord, I know that you love this person. Lord, I want to kill this person. I want to have them wiped off the face of the earth. But Lord, I hope you break my heart for people. I hope you break my heart for this individual. I hope that I can love like you. I hope that you can help me to see them as you see them. So infuse my heart with your love and with your passion. Now catch this. It's not just praying that prayer. What if you also pray for them? What a great witness this morning with the story of Edgar. I don't know if that ministered to you, but it ministered way to my heart because listen, church, there is nothing There is nothing like going on our knees for another person that will help us have a heart for that person. When we start praying for people and we start going on behalf of of them to our great God to to help uh, to, to pray for their fears and their concerns, it helps wrap our hearts around what's going on in their world, right? Their relationships and their circumstances. God begins to start sharing this parental view that he has for all of his, his sons and his daughters in a mighty way, and we begin to soften. And we begin to embrace them. And we just care for them a bit more. And it makes it easier for us to dump that defensive posture. And when you dump that defensive posture, it's going to help you grow trust, it's going to help you be able to have, be a trustworthy person because that posture is no longer there. And they see that. They see that as a very tangible, practical thing in your life. So when you feel the urge to need to defend, I suggest you pray. We also build trust by connecting. By connecting. In Mark 5, I love this story because Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus, who's an important official, all right? And we see Jesus... Stop. He literally stops on his as he encounters this hurting, bleeding woman. Now, the whole story we get enamored with, and I think the story we pay attention to with is Jairus' daughter. And Jesus takes care of that situation. He raises his daughter from the dead. He takes care of Jairus in that. But what's so fascinating to me about this story is the way he stopped with this woman. And he doesn't heal her wounds quickly so he can keep on moving. He leads forward towards her with all of his attention and care focused on her. And that would come as a shock to the crowd and maybe a shock to us as well because it would seem like Jesus had a little bit more important something to do. But he listens to her story and he connects with her. Well, how long did it give, how long did it take for her to share that story? Well, (laughs) until Jairus' daughter was dead. Jesus listened to the woman and he listens well and he connects with her and he's present while she's telling her story. After hearing her story, he knows what she needs. And it's not just physical healing from this bleeding out. It's social healing. 
And so he introduces her again to the entire crowd. He pronounces her clean, and she's back as part of mainstream society. He connected with her, and he chose to do that very intentionally to figure out what the deeper need was. This isn't just physical. There's something rooted here. And when we connect to other people's deep needs, I think practically what that means for us is we start asking good questions. We start taking some time just to pause and just listen to people's stories and their yearnings because no, no two people have the same upbringings. No two people have the same hopes and dreams or the same fears. Are you intentionally, are you intentionally connecting with others? When our neighbors have a Super Bowl party or a barbecue, do you go? You've been invited to those things. Have you made some margin, some balance, some time to be at the Little League game, at the book club, at the camping trip that your neighbor invited you to, or the dinner or the movie? Because the opportunities, they really are endless. Come on now. We can all use that buddy that we want to go to Home Depot with. Come on, right? But when we make ourselves available for that lunch outing or, or that place in work, the opportunities that we actually maybe just seem as trivial. I think sometimes the, the, the happy hour or the lunch connection can seem very trivial to us. But most of the most fruitful conversations we'll have with an individual, they're taking place on a light rail. Or they're taking place at the basketball game. Or that work project that you're doing in the neighborhood with one another. I've heard there's some really productive conversations that happen in a gym as you're getting fit. I don't know personally, but I've heard those conversations happen. Right? The best conversations... The best conversations with non-Christians don't always take place in the church. They don't always take place at a church event. They're going to happen right in your real, real world circumstances. It doesn't require you to be a student living on a dorm where you're out of your own world and your own um, uh, safe comfort creature, uh, um, those, those safe places that you have in your life. It doesn't require that you just live there. God has put people in your sphere of influence and he's placed those people in your life intentionally now. So we connect with people. And I know, I know this because my wife says I'm the extrovert, my wife's the introvert. And I know I'm killing the introverts here when I highlight that Jesus chose to connect with people. I know I'm killing the introverts, but it's just true. I'm just preaching truth here. Jesus, Jesus chose to be with people. He displaced himself. Truly, heaven must have been the most comfortable place to be in. And he displaced himself. So this becomes very foundational for us to know that Jesus came to live amongst us in the flesh, to dwell amongst us, to be amongst us. And so that's where we build our own model from because he loved us enough to get on our turf. So what are we willing to do? What are we willing to do? Because even the most well-intentioned prayer, get this, even the most well-intentioned prayer is not going to be enough. Even with full of faith and genuine heart, we have to hang out with folks. We have to be able to be in their world if we truly desire them to cross their threshold from distrust to trust. That's what needs to happen. And it's probably, it's probably going to require that you lean into that tension of the person that, again, frustrates you, the person that thinks differently than you, all those kinds of things to say that, no, I will make time in my schedule, in my busy life for this to be a priority because I will displace myself for the sake of building that trust. 
We have to connect. And then the last thought here, we build trust by speaking value into someone. We build trust by speaking value into someone. In Acts 17, <clears throat> Paul, he's addressing a group of Athenians. And catch this, this group is entangled in extreme idol worship. <laughs> he speaks to them in this very interesting way. I think it's interesting because to me it would be understandable, I think even expected for him to utterly blast these heathens. I think Paul's well within his grounds. He can, you can almost see it coming because that's in fact what I would do. I would have taken that route, right? Sometimes we, we, we do this with individuals. We don't want to talk about it a lot as Christians, but we'll break out our, um, okay, that's immoral behavior. That's something that they shouldn't be doing. And so we start loading up a little bit, right? Our morality weapons go all out and we're, oh, yeah, let me fire this at people. And if you're not doing that verbally, sometimes we think it in here, and then you get the tapes that are playing and you're focused on that in the individuals. And so we can see little else in their world. But Paul is speaking value into these folks. He affirms them. He works hard to find something good in this practice of theirs. Here's what he says in Acts 17, 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now he highlights that they're seeking after God. He's not distancing himself from their idolatry, but he's honoring them in a way of speaking to that. They want to worship something. They want to worship, and he sees his role. I love this about Paul. He sees his role as a person that wants to speak value into someone because he knows that when he does that, he's going to spark something that's built in each one of us, and that's kingdom values. There's built into each one of us, non-Christian or Christian, the yearning for kingdom heart and kingdom living. And if he speaks to that in an individual, if he sparks something inside of them, he believes it's going to become a flame that turns into a forest fire that points them towards Jesus Christ. That's Paul's heart for people. And we struggle to emulate him with this. I think we struggle because it's just easier to judge. It's just easier to judge someone that believes differently than I do. Or maybe turn, if, if not judge, maybe even just turn the blind eye, say, well, they're all good to each his own. And see, I wonder if it would be a shock to many of us if God showed us today that many of our non-Christian friends are worth speaking value into. The gay activist that has a commitment to equality and just to speak that truth into their lives. The coworker who believes in a different God or no God at all and you speak to them in a way that you've seen their life and the way they care for the poor and you just speak value into that. Unfortunately, I think these things often get unnoticed. What about that stoner that lives next to you? And one of the, the gifts of his life, his or her life, is that they just have great humility for others. They, they care for people in the neighborhood. And you need to lean into speaking value into that. Or the great parenting skills of the person who votes differently than you do. And how great they are with their kids. Listen, if there is a detachment, if there is a detachment from the people of God, the people of faith, the friends of Jesus, if there is a detachment from the intrinsic value that God sees in another individual, we will always come across as judgmental. 
we will always come across as judgmental, and there will be a distrust of Christians. And I understand there's nuance, and I understand there's tension in all of that. But understand that we have the power to build trust by looking for the good in people and to intentionally speak value into them. Which then leads me back to Mark 4. Do you remember what we read earlier? In verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Now, again, we spoke to the end verses of Mark chapter 4 and speaking about the stock and the head and the full kernel as it grows. But this portion doesn't just speak to the path of faith being a process. This portion of the scripture says that don't ever forget that the path of faith for everyone is also a mystery. It's also very mysterious on how a plant grows because the farmer sleeps and that seed still grows, doesn't it? The farmer sleeps and that seed grows in a way the farmer can't even understand because it happens at night. It happens when no one's looking. It's not process, it's a mystery. And there's a mysterious part to each of our faiths. If you, you get this because if you ever intentionally have shared your faith with somebody, you know that there's been some great fruit with that. And then there's been other opportunities where you're like, where are you, God? This person doesn't seem to take any steps forward. And so you've shaken your head in frustration because maybe they seem so near to faith, but they never got there. And some gospel seeds that will be planted, they will grow. And that'll be even contingent around our weakness of effort. Like we'll have some weak efforts behind that and they will still grow because God is still God and he is still moving and doing what he wants to do. And there will be other seeds that we have tended with great care that never take root. And that's all a mystery. And last week we were challenged that the harvest is right, but the workers are few. So if you choose to get to work, if you choose to get to work and go, you're gonna have to welcome that the mysterious nature of the path of faith is God's to understand and yours not to understand. And it's why the gospel of Jesus is so profoundly, uniquely solving every problem for us. Because it's liberating when we admit and declare what is beyond us. It's, it's freeing that we are powerless, that we cannot create life. That it's impossible to predict why some friends choose clearly Jesus for their lives and others just don't. We don't know how to change hearts. We don't know how the seed will take root. And we don't know if it'll bounce off of hardened ground. And when you admit that, I believe that you're going to be that much more likely to go. That you're going to be that much more likely to step into the opportunities with just availability. Because guess what? The monkey is off your back. And guess whose back it's on? It's on God's who it's always been on his back. It's always been his responsibility. The scriptures teach us this. God is ultimately in control of salvation. John 6, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is reminding his followers that my father's in the business of transformation. You just be available. I'm gonna be available. I'm gonna look to intentionally build trust with a friend. I'm going to intentionally pray for a friend. And when we consider that, when we honestly consider that with our friend or our coworker or our friends, when we believe that, we will learn what the farmer knows. Is that sometimes you just throw out the seed and you're like, whoa, this is a mystery to me. 
Okay, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to go and I'm going to share what Jesus has done in my life. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm going to be faithful with this opportunity, trusting God, trusting God for the results. I don't know how you work in this, Lord, but I'm trusting that you're up to something. And it's important for us to hold on to this reality, friends, because it's so tempting for us, I think, just to grasp control. We want our methods and we want our strategies and we want our declarations of certainty. We want to program evangelism. That's how we want to share the gospel. But perhaps reaching seekers today, we need to live more like the farmer in the parable and embrace that, yes, there's process. Let's meet them with trust and building trust. But there's also this freeing biblical truth. When we're tempted and wanting to predict and reduce control of the mystery, that no, the mysterious path to faith, <laughs> people aren't projects. People are people. And people are people and God is in control. That's the beauty. That's the beauty behind it. I'm a, I'm a sports lover. Many of you know that. And um, uh, I've been looking at this uh, NFL uh, has the top 100 players right now. They're evaluating all the top 100 players in the NFL. And it's interesting to me because there's so many skill sets with all these players. But one of the things that just struck a chord with me is so many of these top 100 players, there's been injuries throughout the years where they haven't even been able to complete a full season, put out amazing stats. And it just dawned on me that the greatest ability that any of these major athletes in the NFL have, the greatest ability they have is availability. It's not how they throw a football. It's not how they run a football or defend. It's just them being available to play in the game. Don't you want to get in the game? It's time to get in the game. It's time to stop sitting on the sidelines and just being available to what the Lord has for you. And guess what? You're skilled. You got some great gifts. And you can't throw a football 50 yards but you have innate abilities that God has gifted you with to meet a person right where they're at, to listen well, to ask good questions, to be present, to make time. And we, the people of God, the friends of God, this church, we will be a people that says yes to those opportunities. We will be a people that says yes. We will be the people of God that says yes to availability and let God and trust God to move mountains because he's moving. He's moving. Would you pray with me? Father, we are going to trust you this morning. And we're going to say yes this morning. As a collective group, we want to say yes to the opportunities that you present us with, God. The opportunity is to step. Many of us, that's going to just start with simply praying. For many of us, that's going. And for many of us, Lord, we need to start speaking value into people that we just don't see how they view the world. We need to speak the value that you see in them, into them. Lord, just help us. Give us the courage. Give us the motivation. Give us the trust in you and how you've continued to show up. Story after story, we're hearing them this morning. 
And there's so many that are invading this church of how people are trusting you for growth, trusting you for provision, trusting you to, to make a way, trusting you for the, the power, trusting you for the presence. And God, we are declaring that, yes, we will go on behalf of that person that we trust to transform lives for the name of Jesus Christ. We are saying as a collective group of men and women, not only just praising your name this morning, Lord, but also saying that your name is worthy to be praised in every encounter we, we have. So build our confidence, build our trust, God, and help us to be the people of God that are making a difference in this community and beyond. We pray these things in your great name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.